Chai FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the IRR show on this brightish Tuesday morning. It's Sarah Gon here, uh, bringing you all your news and having a very interesting interview uh, later on, but I'll introduce my guest at that stage. I, You know, it's a funny thing. I, I kind of almost think that some of the bad news we're looking at, and I'm not sure if we're looking at any good news, so we'll clear that up immediately, suggests ironically that in many respects the ANC is a bit is on the rack and that there are so many things that are exposing it in ways that may ultimately lead to a split or a, a, a reduction of below 50 percent in in support in the polls which frankly would be good for the country I mean we just would have to take the the chance and uh, there's some bravery required but there's certainly South Africa is not going to grow and develop under under an ANC government Uh, but funny enough in the meantime we have to look at some uh, strangely negative things to find the positive and the first thing I'm going uh, I'd like to deal with is the case of the acquittal of uh, former former minister Bongani Bongo by judge president of the Western Cape Cape John Schlope on Friday last week. Now, essentially, Bongo stood accused of trying to bribe the evidence leader of the Zondo Commission, Tutuzelo Vanara, to halt Parliament's ESCOM inquiry. That's the, the, the essence of it. I won't go into the details. And what Judge Schlope did, which was interesting because he hasn't heard a criminal case for a few years, and he specifically assigned this case to himself – and possibly because he is facing a similar charge that would might that would see the Judicial Services Commission impeach him. Um, let me give you an idea of how some people feel about the discharge of the case. Because what what Judge Slope did was he heard the prosecution's case and then he decided that the prosecution didn't present enough of a case to bother hearing the uh, accused and discharged the case and that was the end of that retired constitutional court judge Johann Krichler who's shall we say quite feisty says that misconduct accused Western Cape Judge President John Schlopper's acquittal of ANC MP Bongani Bongo on corruption charges is fundamentally flawed and he called on judicial authorities to immediately suspend him. Quote, I read the judgment in horror at what had been done. Uh, close quote, Crickler told News 24. It cannot stand. He earlier stated, uh, Schlope's contrived reasoning and perverse ruling in the Bongo case, in which he stood accused of trying to bribe Banara, demonstrates how dangerous it has been to allow him to remain on the bench. Um, now, the Judicial Services Commission says its hands are tied because Schlopp is currently appealing a recommendation over a second issue of impeachment, which involves abuse of power, assault and abuse of language to his deputy. It's, it's quite it's quite astonishing. It's very South African. Now, the now the ANC came out sort of 
in great delight at the acquittal of of um, of Bongo and that he wasn't corrupt and it just goes to show and blah 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 blah. But the general view of people in the law who know these things have suggested that the act that this matter can um can, should go on appeal. Whether the whether the NPA will will do so is another issue. But um, the one of uh, law professor Stephen Tucson said he believes that it's a stretch for the court to say that Venara was not a credible witness in this case, and added, and I think this is extraordinary, it was problematic, very delicate, that Schlope had relied on written statements given by Bongo to find that his account of his meeting with Venara which Bongo claimed was a legal debate over the difficulty of having a parliamentary inquiry into ESCOM in parallel with the state capture inquiry, was consistent. Um, Schlopper made his findings despite the fact that Bongo did not give his testimony under oath or face cross-examination. Another expert believes that it's appealable because the case is littered with errors of law. Um, it if it, if, they, if the appeal were to go ahead and it was successful, it resu- would result in a retrial for Bongo. Um, now, essentially, I, I, I think it's crucial that this matter does go on appeal because it's so, it seems to be so egregiously bad. And it involves the judge president of the Western Cape who has no credibility at this stage and should have been dealt with a considerable time ago. It seems, it so clearly seems to be he's, he's, he's allowing this case to be heard and decided upon in his own indirect interest. And all, all it does, as far as I'm concerned, is, is establish that, uh, Schlopp is desperately trying to get away from having to fi- having to face his day in court. Um, but we wait and see, but pretty scathing. And, uh, I think everyone all round who, everyone who's pleased with the result will, uh, may have egg, in, egg on their faces in the long run. Then just to, uh, um, look at a, a, briefly at another, um, finding, another issue is that of, uh, the public protector, uh, Mkwabani, who's the Siwe Mkwabani, um, who's, who is supposed to face an impeachment hearing before before Parliament, the rules have been set and established. It can go ahead. The DA has asked for it to go ahead. And we are waiting for the ANC's internal machinery to decide whether, when and how to go ahead. And there's, there, is consider, there is concern that in considering undertaking impeachment proceedings, this will help, this will bring about or bring to the fore, rather, underlying tensions in the ANC caucus. And this is what I meant by the fact that there are so many issues arising for the ANC which threaten to, to split it increasingly and increasingly. And I think, as I've said before, the irony of uh, Sora Ramaphosa's dedication to preserving the unity of the ANC may see him be the first president of the ANC to, to be head of its split. So with that in mind, uh, we'll take uh, the first ad break to restore some calm and rest. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and welcome to the interview section of the, uh, of the IRR show. 
Um, I am delighted to introduce you to Estelle Ellis, who is a experienced and senior writer, journalist for Daily Maverick and The Herald in the Eastern Cape. And her area concerns particularly socio-political issues. And my interest was piqued in a number of articles I've read which have dealt with the provision or rather the lack of provision of water to communities. Estelle, welcome. Hi, good morning. Just a small question. I used to work for the Herald. Oh, okay. (laughs) I now work for Daily Maverick. (laughs) Okay, thanks for that. Uh, You know, when one does a a search, and in fact, I think I I I contacted you through uh, through the Herald. Uh, (laughs) Everything, you know, you can't tell whether things are current or not. Um, It's still you've written very extensively uh, with great deal of detail on in, into issues, particularly in the Eastern Cape with regarding uh, the provision of, of water uh, services and the, the collapse of water services. Can, I, can you give me just a broad idea of what, why municip- municipalities are failing or why they almost all seem to be failing over a sort of in the same number of two or three years? It, things just almost around the country are, are, are grinding to a halt in, in that respect. I think... I think I've specifically um, is maybe a little bit unique in the sense that we're on year seven of an extensive and um, really serious drought. So um, very few people want to commit to say that we're seeing the first impact of climate change. Mm. But the truth is that even the weather service have said that they can no longer predict the long-term rainfall for this area. So we, we're not sure. It's a bit difficult to plan. So that's the first thing. I think people are in dire trouble. A lot of dams have dried up um, and because the rain is just not falling. And if rain is like overnight, we've had a, maybe five millimeters of rain, but that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Our dams are below 10%. So um, the Eastern Cape is known to be an, an area where there's either drought or flood. Mm-hmm. But our flood's a few years overdue now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that's the first thing. And then, but the second thing is that our municipalities, our infrastructure is failing in almost all the municipalities, water infrastructure. And with that, I include sewage infrastructure. The cities might be better off than the small towns, but the small towns are in dire trouble. You know, the um, stress... Crawford, Adelaide, um, Butterworth, the villages around Butterworth, um, they all, people are really water stressed and they really need water, but this is a, it's a long term failure for, of plan, but also a long term maintenance failure. Um, can I ask you, Phil, just the, the one thing, just to go back to the, the, the drought thing, um, the, the drought aspect. Is there a possibility that one is now seeing the consideration, I suppose, particularly to the smaller towns and villages even, of people having to actually relocate because the, because of the lack of, of, of rain and the lack of water, that they, it actually has no longer become viable for a lot of those areas to remain occupied? I think a lot of people would want to move, but they're too poor. So mm. it's, it's 
very difficult. The thing that I think that keeps me going with my reporting on the small rural towns and their water issues that to a great extent, a lot of people are trapped there. They don't have money to move, but they also the, the municipality is not providing them with water. So that makes it even worse. You know that um, I think that that the psychological stress that a lack of water is causing. Um, there are a lot of scams in these areas. I know now in, in Pedi, the old ladies who can't can no longer fetch water from the tanks because a 25 liter container is too heavy for them. Mm-hmm. They must pay a hundred rand, two hundred rand for someone to go fetch it for them. And you know, if you only get a state pension, that's a lot of money to pay for 25 liters of water. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that is the other thing is that we we have these small communities that have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, they they cannot move. I think the ones who could go to the cities maybe have gone, mm-hmm. but then Nelson Mandela Bay itself is in a massive water crisis. I think we are we're maybe a little bit saved because we're getting water through the Noitgedacht scheme for about half the city's needs. Mm-hmm. But our dams are, are very low. I think our dams are on a combined 16%. Mm-hmm. And the bottom half of that 16% can't be used. Um, so I think the, the cities themselves are also in trouble um, at the moment. Mm. Um, has, uh, sorry, I actually, it hadn't occurred to me to, to check whether, um, is the Eastern Cave formally a has it been declared a disaster area a very political contentious issue we were a disaster area and it seems that it lapsed um mm-hmm. the nelson mandela bay i need to check because the political situation is so unstable here that you don't know what happens from week to week we we were declared and nelson mandela bay was declared a disaster area mm-hmm. as was the mm-hmm. sort Portman district, which covers the great part of the Karoo. Um But there might be one or two others that have been. But in, when I say this, you know, there's not a lot of, it doesn't seem to be a lot of aid coming other than COVID aid, which was the water tanks mm-hmm. um, coming because of this, these declarations. Now, Butterworth, for instance, there water problems, they need to build a dam, which would cost mm, millions yeah. and millions of rands. I mean, they, they need to have a serious upgrade, um, which can't be done in a few months. You know, mm. so immediate water is being delivered by water trucks. Um, I think they've had a little bit of, they've had better rain than the western part of the province. Mm. But, um, you know, a place like Adelaide, which falls under the Amatola district municipality that's now been declared bankrupt. That's uh, Adelaide there's some of the worst and the saddest things I've ever seen, you know, with Adelaide people start lining up with their buckets at three o'clock in the morning to get some water. Um and the summers are very hot there as it is in the rest of the Karoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the times the wood tank or the water tanks in communities are only filled at 10 o'clock at night and then that excludes a lot of women from collecting water because they're too scared to go out at night. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've even seen now with um, Makanda when their water system failed 
Wakanda is maybe a bit problematic by itself, but um, how little water was brought to communities by the municipality. I mean, Gift of the Givers sort of saved Makanda in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the impression I've certainly uh, 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 sort of taken away from this. In fact, I think September, October last year, I happened to watch an interview that ENCA did with uh, Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman, and he was talking about providing, I can't remember exactly which areas, but they, they were small, there were a range of, of, of villages, um, providing water absolutely free, uh, dr- drilling boreholes, etc. Um, it, it gave the impression, and you can correct me if, if, if I'm wrong on this, one is that they were going in and doing what what the government doesn't appear to have done, but he was he was ex- extremely angry. Given that it was a public interview at sort of six thirty in the evening, so it's prime time, and he was essentially railing at the fact that they were, in essence, in every way standing in for the sort of assistance that should be expected from from governments and and municipalities. And it seems like nothing much has nothing changed much since, since that time. As you say, you mentioned Makanda, where the where gift of the givers went in over their re, their recent uh, shortages as well. Does does this establish that well-run um, private sector charities or institutions, if given the space? Can in fact do the job better than than the municipalities, or is it really an ad hoc, uh, problem by problem basis? I happen to agree with Dr. Suleimani's big argument is that something as essential as water must be removed from the supply chain management of the municipalities. So maybe just a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. You know, water is sort of seen as a way to make money by the municipalities, and around 2015, 2016, no, maybe before that, even 2013, there were huge fights about which municipality gets the water rights for what area, because Mm -hmm. it's seen as a way to make money. And um, I think that's, in the first place, the wrong approach, because it should be seen as a way to provide services. Mm -hmm. But this is, Dr. Suleiman, as well, is saying this, that Water must be provided almost through a community-based system that's excluded from, um, you know, the tenders and the this and the that. The, I think it does, to a great extent, provide uh, services that the municipality should provide. But many, many of our municipalities in the Eastern Cape are completely bankrupt. Mm. I, I mean, a place like Craddock... Um, has got huge uh, financial problems. Grafrenets municipality, um, Somerset East, Adelaide. So that's Amatoli district municipality. That's a huge municipality that admitted they can't pay anymore. They owe a lot of money to the water boards. So I think we we should, and I think communities should start standing up and saying we will take responsibility for our own water provision. Mm. Um, this is not something that should be left to our municipalities. And then, you know, I'm pretty sure that people can, because we, we do have a lot of skills in our communities. You know, you can see mm. when people offer, we've had that case at Swarthrichens and a few other mm. places, 
booster where they were now saying they're taking over the water provision now because it's not working. Mm. You know, we do have the skills in our communities, but we everything water should not be a political issue. Mm. Um, there's interesting studies that are now being published about the psychological impact of a lack of water on people and how it can make mental illness, um, anxiety, and things like depression worse for mm. um, for people in communities where we. You know, and that's just such an evil circle because mm-hmm. mental health um, programs are already in short supply. And if things get worse, then because of the shortage of water, ugh, it's it's then things become really difficult for communities that don't have a lot of money to look for um, other assistance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do agree. I think we should take it out of the municipalities. Okay. So, I mean, I mean to what extent... Um I mean, you've given all the, the awful details of what goes what goes into the situation. Um, to what extent is it is the factor of a lack of skills, a lack of ability to actually do the the, the practical job of maintaining waterworks and sewerage works um, an issue? Because I see that the president has now talked about a campaign to professionalise the public the public service, which I have to admit I looked at rather cynically because. You know, we've had 27 years of the particular public service. Um, that if it isn't professional by now, it has the, the government has really no one else to blame but itself. Um, and the, the impression gained in a lot of these matters is that you literally have people who, because they, they don't know what to do properly, particularly when, a, when you have a problem in, a, in, in, the, in the provision of water, they don't know what to do. And what tends to happen is they do nothing. And then, of course, it just gets worse. Um, is, is this a major issue, or is it more a, just a question of the supply of water, using it as a as a political tool, uh, perhaps corruption, um, you know, t- t- taking taking water or selling water in order to make a private profit? I think there are. I think we we actually do have a lot of people who are excellent plumbers that work for municipalities and that they know their water systems quite well. Mm. Uh, it, it may be a little bit on the dark side, but we saw this now when there was a sabotage campaign with um, at the Amatoli District Municipality where the members of the one of the trade unions went on strike and they were actually physically damaging the infrastructure, and they knew exactly where to damage it. So I think the, I think the, I think the plumbing teams are quite highly skilled. What I've picked mm. up is that because the municipalities are so um, strapped for cash, they sometimes have to wait quite a long time to find the thing they need to fix the network. Mm. Um, but also, as I said, our, our big water projects have fallen behind. Mm. And so there was proper planning. You know, you can have the best plumber in the world, but if there's no water in the dam, there's nothing mm. they can do. Mm. Um, I do also think there seems, I haven't done a lot of investigation work on it, but for instance, when drilling was done in the Butterworth area, a, a huge amount of boreholes were found with water that could not be used for drinking. And I'm not exactly sure how that happens, but mm-hmm. I think that, you know those things should be investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, because what does it help? And our, our the other thing as well is our tenders that are put out for um, drilling by government is extremely high. 
you know, if you look at the, mm -hmm. the sort of price that Dr. Suleiman does it for, um, or even the, you know, it's, it's way too high what they're paying for boreholes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as I said, if you, if you've done a low lot in a, in a place like Butterworth that was extremely water stressed at that stage, and then you still have to go make signs that says don't drink the water. You know, this whole exercise becomes a bit difficult. Um, but I do think, I do think we do have the expertise. I think we may not have the leadership. I don't mm. think we have the planning. Our long-term water planning is, is shocking. And I, I don't think we've got the cash to act fast enough. And then I must also add, I am not sure about this, but I'm just looking into it is the um, vandalism of water infrastructure. So there's a theory among many that small and medium enterprises that get work from burst pipes and so on, that when they need money, they would damage water infrastructure on purpose, you know, because then they get called out to, to do things like this. The municipalities have laid a lot of complaints with the police about vandalism of water infrastructure, and I haven't really seen an arrest happening. Mm. There are, you know, it's a huge problem in Bayer's Nadia, it's a problem in Chris Harney District Municipality, it a, was a problem for the Amatoli District Municipality. Um, we, we often hear that, and it's, it's deliberate damage. We saw in Makanda now when, when the um, telemetry system was damaged at the, at the mm. reservoirs mm. while while there was a water crisis. So I think we need to look into that as well, that, that there is some type of shenanigan going on there that um, I'm not, I can almost not see a community deliberately damaging water infrastructure at the time of huge water crisis. Um, we have seen them break, community members break open drains and pipes just as in desperation to get the water to water, mm -hmm. but we've not seen this this sort of deliberate, very carefully orchestrated vandalism of uh, reservoirs and valves, and must see as if that's something more um, malevolent than just the basic. We're looking for water, so we're going to break open this pipe. Okay. Yeah. Can I can I pursue that with you? A bit? Uh, can you hang on with us? For the ad break, and I'll come back to you to take that a bit further. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Um, it's still back to the subject of it, critical. I mean, it's, it's it's the ultimate breach of of human rights where people either uh, deliberately tamper with or break infrastructure to gain contracts to repair it, or people unable don't have the skills to repair it, or um, um, municipalities don't have the money to keep things properly maintained or running. Now, one of the things that um, uh, Dr. Suleiman uh, mentioned was that he seemed to have quite a good rapport with the minister responsible for water, uh, Lindiwe Sisulu, but she seems to be faced with, with A, the destruction wrought by her predecessor, and B, the and fact that the there are just huge numbers of debts to be paid off, that, which is where the money is going to at a, at a, at a national level. Um, I certainly have the impression that uh, her predecessor, Namvula Mokonyani, um, took a bad situation and made it infinitely worse. Uh, uh, projects 
either never got off the ground or were delayed to such an extent that it contributed to where we are now. Um, am I being unfair to her? No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, my other area where I've done some reporting is in Limpopo, where the leaders are also left without water for ages. And this is because the waterworks have not been commissioned properly or they were half finished or, you know, there was just no control and no oversight. You know, same with the Busterworth water scheme. The, 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 the plans were there, you know, they, they knew that what had to be done, but it just wasn't ever done. Um, I do think funding might possibly be a problem. Um, there's a direct, there is a lot of debate about what municipalities do with rates that are paid for water. So the thinking in the Eastern Cape is that they use it to run their operations rather than pay it over to the water board, you know, which mm. which could be a significant income for them. But yes, I think I think we've got a we we have a significant history now of projects not being finished or carried out. Of course these water projects are extremely expensive, but it's you know the access to water as you say is is such a basic human right and it's you know the thing that makes me sad is that if you talk about inequality, that that's one of the first places where we see inequality in our communities because we've had a water outage because of vandalism in Nelson Mandela Bay over the weekend. And mm. you see the middle class people all lining up to go get their water at the water shop. But it's the our people in the informal settlements that are really struggling when there's no water. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, there are a lot of people who can't make a plan to to get water when the municipality fails, and I, and and the other thing is there's there's a lot of social justice organisations trying to go to court and get interdicts. For, there is a long series of court orders for Limpopo to compel them to provide water to villagers, um, but I think it's about time that one of our judges. Put one of these municipal managers in jail actually when they fail to provide water. It should be that serious, especially <laughs> at a time when we're faced with something like COVID-19. It seems like the closest we might have got to that is the Hetlang uh, Refir municipality in the northwest where the, uh, where the, the citizens, the concerned citizens, the Ratepayers Association went to court and actually got an order that for them to take over the running of the town's water and waste works and ordered the, uh, I don't know if it was the mayor or the city manager to, uh, to be in prison for 95 days or, or three months or something. But that was suspended pending giving him a chance to improve matters, which, uh, by all accounts, they didn't worry about him at all. The, the, the private, the, the citizens just got on with it and, and turned things around. Um, but, that seems to be the first of that kind of action, as opposed, uh, perhaps this started with Makanda, where a year ago um, the uh, unemployed people's movement got a court to dissolve the, the Makanda municipality. But as far as, as, as I understand in that case, the, pro the province and the municipality have appealed, so nothing has kind of happened it's, 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 it's been in, a, in, a, in stasis since, since that order. 
you know, sadly, um, the wheels of justice turn a little bit slowly for my liking in South Africa. <laughs> um, but we're hoping that the Supreme Court of Appeal will hear that matter this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that order is it dissolves the council. Mm-hmm. And they might hear that appeal after we've had elections. Of course. So then there might be nothing left to do. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I am seeing, especially in the Eastern Cape, is the rise of organizations that are non-political. I think in Dr. Bayer's Nodier Municipality, which is around Grafrenet, Kliplaat, Janssenville, around there, there is a, an organization called the Service Delivery Movement that's now started as an apolitical organization that will stand in the elections, but to, it's only got one mandate, and that's to provide services. Mm. And I, I actually foresee that this is going to happen um, in other places as well. You know, we're hearing stories and rumors that, that this will be a major thing, that people in the municipal elections will will see these service delivery organizations and that's what they want to do you know they just want to run the municipality of course it can all go wrong as we've seen before with many other organizations mm. but at this stage you know and I've, I've spoken a lot to them they seem to be having you know that people are so tired of this, mm. these service delivery failures no, I think I think my sense is that the uh, the action in the northwest was exactly that. The uh, it, the the ratepayers association was just that. It wasn't a political body in in the broader sense. It it was there to try and have services improved and be responsible for improving those services. And uh, one of the things we do, we we're starting a campaign called uh, you know stop citizen abuse. Um, it's exactly the sort of thing where. You know, if if the government can't do it, and the citizenry wants to do it, they must be allowed uh, allowed to do it. And I, I wonder if we aren't reaching that stage where the pressure is building so much on government that this is perhaps inevitable, and we will see increasing success in this regard. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I, I think so. I think people are really tired tired of not having water, not having electricity. Um, municipalities not paying ESCOM and then people are faced with electricity shutdowns. Mm. Because in the east, in the Karoo, for instance, if the power goes, the water goes as well because of course. it's not working. Um, so I think the, and as, a, as you say, I mean, water is such a fundamental thing in people's lives that that is something that should be improved remarkably. It should be an absolute focus of government mm. and I'm not seeing it. Um, you know, even the delivery of water tanks in the Eastern Cape during this COVID emergency program, it was done and then there was a lot of issues around it and people were hijacking the water. And, but you also don't see any accountability from government to say, no, if you're a councillor and you took the tanks for yourself, you are fired. You you should not be um allowed to represent your community. So I really do think we also need better accountability for where water systems fail. Um, Estelle, I have to leave it there, but thank you very, very much for coming on because it's it's a subject that I know not a lot about, but the more I've, I've sort of got to read about it, the more heartbreaking it become. And, as, and it's just a matter that I think people will 
almost rebel against uh, the way they've been treated. Um, if I may, I'd like to get you back at a, at a later stage to take this and other matters further. So thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to have a chat to you. Thank you. Um, and now let's go to uh, the final ad break on my segment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, welcome back to a very sobered IRR show. Um, of course, it, it, it raises the, the point that you've probably all been thinking about in that part of what we need to do to help resolve the pillage and destruction of our resources, the, uh, the inability, the poor performance and the corruption and the fact that, you know, everything is seen as a personal, as a, as a place for personal gain rather than people's desperate needs. We need to call in the Israelis. Of course we do. Um, I'm going to take this issue of water up in, in, in future discussions, but next week I'll, our CEO, Franz Cronier, will come on to talk about our stop hashtag citizen abuse because this is just the beginning. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, we'll see you next week to look at uh, politics in the raw. Keep well. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.